Are you annoyed by how loud that guy a couple of cubes over talks on his phone? Here's a great way to annoy him in return. Just take an air horn and tape it to the trunk of his chair. Need to leave work early without anyone noticing? Just leave a decoy jacket on the back of your chair and some half-eaten food on your desk. To get rid of a pesky rodent in your office with a single paper clip, just take the paper clip, unfold it, and insert into the rodent's heart. If you're in a meeting and you've forgotten someone's name, just ask them their name. I'm sorry, what was your name again? Kevin. Then just pretend you only wanted their last name. I know, your last name. Williams. <laughs> Some of you are disappointed because uh, this is the last weekend, so you don't get to see any more of those. Um, you can go on YouTube and find them. So there you go. Hey, it is, it is awesome to be back with you. It's been a while. And I'm going to tell you, uh, we've had an incredible team in place who I listen to every week as, as I was gone. And if you don't know this, I counted because I can do this at least as long as it requires 10 fingers. Seven different staff members have preached, not including myself, this year. That's how good of a team we have. And it's been pretty awesome. So, yep. Uh, be careful if you tell anybody, you're like, oh, I didn't know that. Because uh, you just outed yourself that you never go to church. So, just pretend, yeah, you're right, David. I've heard every one of them. Uh, but I hope that you'll at least go listen to them, watch them, whatever you do. Incredible truth from God in all of them. But we're going to land it. Uh, we're going to land it this weekend and talk about something that's, uh, well, I would say, very critical. To do so, we need to talk about hospitals for a second. So for those of you who have bad visions, nightmares, dreams, whatever it is about hospitals, for those of you who work in hospitals, hopefully we'll all enjoy this conversation. Uh, I've been to multiple hospitals sometimes uh, just to pray with someone, sometimes on the receiving end of that whole thing. And now hospitals are absolutely incredible, good places, necessary in life. But what I have learned is something that I think you need to know before you ever visit one. If you plan to go to a hospital and get a good night's sleep, you, you are horribly wrong. Uh, I remember when Titus was born and, and I stayed overnight on, if you've ever been in these places, the, the, there's this little couch that is in theory a bed. Um, for a child, but, but for, it's, it's for, and I remember trying to sleep in, in that space all night long and, and obviously woke up, nurse came in the next morning and, and said, How, how'd you sleep? And so I went and I was like, it was horrible. Then I realized uh, the nurse was asking my wife who, <laughs> who had given birth and probably was more the focal point of, of the needs being met, and I, I just kind of cowered back and realized that this was not about me. Uh, I, have, I have had my own visit uh, in a hospital. I tore my calf playing softball one time. It hurt bad, and it did not go well. I, I kept playing softball the rest of the day, and I now know I will never do that again. Uh, made things worse, ended up being in a hospital. I remember when the nurse said, hey, here's this button. If you're in pain, hit the button. That's what I heard. That's not what she said. She said that you can't hit this button more than a certain amount of times over a certain amount of time. So at every moment I could ever remember to think, I just hit the button. 
and drugged myself up as much as possible. And it was a horrible experience for me. Two of our three kids have made uh, convenient, uh, high-priced visits to the ER uh, since they've been in our home. Uh, if you've ever taken a child to the ER or ever yourself been to the ER, you know that the most painful part is not the ER. Uh, it's later on when you get a bill. Uh, our whole family knows hospitals, and they are, they are necessary. But they can't do everything, and you know that. You know that if you have an emergency, if you cut yourself or if you need some sort of surgery, whatever, you, you know that that is made available to us. Go to the hospital. They'll be able to fix physical things. And it's incredible, I believe, gift from God. But they can't fix everything, and, and you know that. But we've got to talk about that. See, if you go to the hospital and you don't have a broken bone or need some sort of surgery, and you just tell them that you feel just an emptiness in life, they're not going to be able to really fix that. There's going to be like maybe some psychological um, options they could offer you and, and might help you a little bit. But, but if, you have, if you have an issue, let's say with your soul, you can go to the hospital all day long. And they're, they're probably going to actually refer you to us because they can't help you. Now, now, your body's important, but you need to know about your soul and the hospital can't fix it. But your soul is what I would call, and I think it's just the Bible says this, the soul, your soul, is the most important part of you. There is no more important part of you. Now, some of you, I mean, you love, you love other parts. Your, your hair is amazing. And you're like, no, David, I think my hair is, is pretty much the best part. But I'm going to tell you, your soul is the only thing that is going to last beyond your actual physical death. Your soul is so important. And that's why when your soul is hurt or dry or discouraged, it hurts more than your physical body could ever hurt. If you've ever had a longing that just was not being met, if, if you've ever had like this distance between you and like the purpose in life that you thought was supposed to happen, and like there's this huge chasm between you and what life should be like, and usually that's a soul issue. If you've ever wondered like why life seems to be against you and, and it just seems every day is a battle, perhaps your soul is, is a big issue. You ever had a broken heart? I mean, just about every one of us have had a broken heart, have been wounded in such a way that our soul just hurt. When you read your Bible, if you were to read it, the first part, the second part, any part, you're going to learn that God constantly looks at your soul and my soul. Our soul, who we really are, is the most important part. And the hospital, that hospital that you and I know about, they can't do anything about your soul. I want to talk about who can, though. And here's how I want to say this. I believe with all my heart that prayer is often the hospital our soul desperately needs. If you have ever found yourself perhaps in a situation where you are longing, but you can't even put words to it, you are hoping for, you are anxious for something. There is worry, maybe even anxiety. There is tension, there is breakdown, and it's not a physical thing. Maybe you can't even describe it fully, but there is something going on in what you would call your heart or your mind, or maybe you just say in me, and you don't know how to say it. Perhaps it's your soul, and I would tell you prayer. Prayer is the hospital, I believe, that God created for our souls to get worked on. But the sad part about prayer, when I tell you prayer, you're like, I'm not very good at that. 
I mean, if I'm ever around and it's time to pray, do you know that if everyone looks at me, like I'm the only one in the space that can talk to God, like it's got, it's got to be him. It's weird. And do you know that nowhere in the Bible does it say only the pastor can pray in public? That's the rules. Don't break them. And if you do, you're going to the bad place. There, it doesn't say that anywhere. What I know is, because I've had individual conversations, I won't out anybody, the majority of us are insecure about prayer. We don't feel good about it. It might be you don't, you don't talk to him very much, and that's your insecurity. Some of you are like, I don't know what to say. David, I'm not a very articulate person. I don't know what to say to God, so we really just don't talk a lot. Some of us just don't know what to do or how to engage it, and so we don't. And what I would tell you, if you care about your soul at all, you should care about prayer because it's the hospital for your soul. So here's the last life hack that I think we need to talk about. How to have a conversation with God. Because guess what? I'm not the only one around here who's going to have one. Can we make a deal on that? <laughs> I think it's pivotal, critical, necessary in all of life for all of us to learn how to have a conversation with God. And it's not near as difficult as you think it might be. Some of you are like, oh, I've had them. There's a book. And you have to read through a book. And, and those are not bad prayers, but those are not the only prayers. But I think I know. I really do. I think I really know why a lot of us don't talk to God very often. So, so some of us do. It's 911 calls all the time. Hey, fix him. Do that. I need money now. Kind of, kind of conversations. Or, or heal me. Or, or I don't know what to do. And 911 calls to God are necessary, critical. You should be having those. But they should not be the only ones. See, you've got a friend in your life that that's all they do to you. And it doesn't go well. So I would suggest that you not land in that part of prayer where you're going, yeah, when I'm desperate, I call them. But many of us, and here's why I think we do this, we don't know who we're talking to. You hear a guy like me, like, well, we need to talk to God. Conversations with God, necessary, but many of us have forgotten who we're actually talking to. Like when you actually say, hey, hey, God, or Father, or or however you begin the conversation, many of us, we, we don't even know. Or thank you, God, for, for this incredible hamburger. I need you to bless it so it doesn't hurt my heart kind of a thing. We, some of we don't, we don't know who we're talking to. And so before we go further into how to have a conversation with God, I want to remind everyone, I don't, no matter what you believe, I want to reveal to you, because the Bible does for us, who you're talking to. Some of you are expecting maybe a verse that's going to, like some powerful, like going to throw lightning down kind of guy. Like, I don't know. Let, remind, let me remind you, if you don't know, or maybe this is fresh for you. But Romans, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Some of us are like, well, that, us sinners, that seems intense. Other of us are like, so I'm included? Yeah. If you've ever sinned, ever, if you're not sure, just ask the person next to you if you've ever sinned. Who did Jesus Christ die for? Who did God, us, everyone. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though some might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us. 
let me say, when you pray, when you have conversations with God, make sure you know you're talking to this guy. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while, while, perhaps one of the most key words in this whole part, while, like not before you got everything cleaned up and fixed up and got everything back in order, while we were still sinners. When you and I pray, when you have a conversation with God, no, no matter if you've been good that day, or not, you're still talking to God who loves you so much that he would give the ultimate sacrifice just to have you in a relationship with him. Don't ever forget that when you pray, you're not talking to empty space. You're not talking to a God that's not sure if he likes you or not. You are talking to not just the creator of everything that you and I know and haven't even discovered yet. You're talking to a God who has intervened in life here on earth so that you and I could spend eternity with him. His agenda with you and I is that these conversations aren't just here on earth, but they last literally for eternity. So it's important that now, you and I understand how to have a conversation with God because it'll get real awkward if it doesn't start happening until you face him. So you and I, let's lean in. Let's lean into what a conversation with God entails, requires. What's so necessary that you and I have got to spend a sermon on how to have a conversation with God because do not be so far as think that, oh, it's got to be certain poetic words. No, no, no. It's more about you and how you see him, and how you speak to him. And many of us don't know how to do it, so we don't do it. We don't even talk to him. Here's the first one. Our conversations with God require an authority check. When you talk with God, whether it's a short conversation about what you're about to eat, <laughs> Maybe it's bedtime with the kids and you're like, God, please, please make them sleep tonight, all night, from this time to this time. Please, Lord, answer this one prayer. Or maybe it's bigger and more life-altering. Any conversation you ever have with God brings about a required authority check. Because when you talk with God, the way you talk to him, what you ask of him, or what you tell him about yourself or your day, or what you expect of him, puts in front of you immediately who you think is in control. And every time you talk to God, whether you say it with your mouth, you need to know your words are communicating who you think is in control. And if you're not sure, well, who is in control? Well, I'm glad you asked. I'll show you. Matthew 28, Jesus came and told his disciples I have been given all authority, <laughs> all authority in heaven. You're like, yep, and on earth. God has authority. He's in control, and we have no evidence of God saying, you know what, I'm bored with this. You have, have at it. 
There's no evidence of God saying, I don't want any authority anymore. I don't want to be involved. No, he's always held to authority. And see, when you talk with God, you need to know who you think is in control. In other words, who you think has authority. And, and um, I think, in my opinion, um, we, we have authority issues. It's, and by the way, some of you who are going to look for all of the millennials around you right now, it's not just the millennials. <laughs> um, I think we have issues with authority, and I can tell you why. Here, we have authority issues because we have a control craving. And, and every one of us has this. For those of you who no, I don't, Dave. Yes, you do. All of us have this control craving. If you're like, in other words, to be in control somehow. It's where you, you think you can be a better president, but you wouldn't be. You think you can be a better boss or a better this than that other person, or you think that if you could, if God would just give you like one day in control of that, you could pretty much take care of everything necessary and good. And you're often lying to yourself. You and I have these cravings of control. I get to see these cravings because I get to raise three children right now uh, with the incredible help, or she does most of it, my wife Katie. We have three children, all different ages, and they, they, the, the blessing that they are offering us at this stage of life is witness to control cravings. It's great. Uh, recently, our, our two oldest spent two weeks with grandparents, so we just had Titus, our youngest, with us. It was, it was wonderful most of the time. One, so here's one of the things we're dealing with with Titus. Titus wants to get himself into the car by himself. He's four. He wants to get up into his seat and put his own seatbelt on and if you help him or offer him help in any way whatsoever, you will get the death glare that all four-year-olds can give. I mean, that's pretty powerful. But he wants to do it. It's hardcore. And as a parent or a grandparent, if you ever had kids around you at all, you know, you choose your battles. Choose them. And choose them wisely. This was when I thought, I'm going to let this go a little bit. I've got some time. So he climbs up in the car. That's no problem. It's fun to watch him open the door. He usually does bash his head, but that's cool to him. He's like, oh, that's so funny. And he climbs up, gets into the seat, and that's when the problem arises. It's not opening the door, getting the seat. It's the seat belt. Trying to get this seat belt wrapped around himself and then, and then locked in. And, and there was this moment. I'm watching. I'm just standing there watching him right by him. I haven't left him. For those of you who are like, I went into the store. No, I'm just watching him. And he's and, and, and it's not going to happen because I can see that the seatbelt is woven all underneath this. It's horrible. And I see that it's actually now locked up. That the car is now rejecting my son saying, no, stop it. And, and I'm watching and, and, and hey, Ty, can, can I help you? No, I got it. All right. So he, it continues and continues and I don't have a ton of patience. And, and I'm trying to learn to be more patient. And I see that he's now losing his mind. He's getting grumpy and starting to grunt and starting like, this is, not gonna, this is now about to explode. I'm watching. The fuse has been lit. And uh, I don't know what else to do. Intervening will make it worse. So I thought, in, in the most loving voice I could conjure up, uh, hey, hey, Titus, would you like any help? And he crosses his arms like a little four-year-old, grumpy old face. And he won't, he won't verbally acknowledge my existence at this point. 
but he grunts kind of a, a yes. And so I unlock the seatbelt, fix it all up, get him, and it feels like a failure to him. And what's fascinating is at my stage of life, I get to watch this. But my friends and family members watch me do the same thing. Because it's other things, other instances in life. It's not seatbelts. I've mastered the seatbelt. Got that. What I haven't mastered is when situations arise that I don't feel financially in control. When I'm in a relationship that's not going the way I want it to and I don't feel in control. Maybe you felt the same way when, when your boss isn't really doing what your boss ought to do and you, and, and you just don't feel like you're in control. Maybe it's when the doctor tells you something and, and you realize in that moment you don't have control. And one of the biggest issues is when we get bad news, it's not the bad news. It's the lack of control that we then realize we, we don't have. We don't have control. All of us are born with this, I believe. All of us are born with this massive craving. And what I've learned with my children, what I've learned with myself, and frankly, what I've learned with you, is this. The times we take control the most are the times we talk to God the least. The times we feel like, we got it. I got no problem buckling the seatbelt, God. Sweet, got it. Maybe financially you feel good. You are coasting, and you're like, hey, go help someone else. I got this. Maybe you're as healthy as you have ever been before. You're like, I don't need to talk to God about my health. Maybe, maybe work is like epically perfect. You're like, and you don't talk to him about work anymore. Maybe your marriage doesn't have any like glaring problems. And, and so you don't pray with your spouse anymore. You're like, we're good. Why would we need to pray? Sometimes we're even offended when someone says, how can I pray for you? And you're like, why? What's the problem? A lot of times we link prayer to, oh, that person's life has fallen apart. Do you know that none of us have control at any point? That's why I tell you, every time you talk to God, there's an authority check. Who do you think is in control? By the way, let's just do a little self-test. Don't worry, this will be simple. If you think or wonder, do I have control issues? Okay. Wherever you don't talk to God about what's going on in your life, that means you think you have that area completely under control. If you don't talk to God very often, unless there's these big moments, that means you're a control freak. You may not like what I just told you, but it's fine. I love you. <laughs> you need to know that if you don't talk to God and have conversations with God about anything and everything, that there are parts of your life that you think that you're the one in full control where God has never given up authority. Uh, it kind of looks like an equation. Let me show you an equation for those of you who are, who are math nerds. It's where you think I, me, I, yourself, you are greater than him. You're like, I'd never say that. But you would see in the way you live your life or the way you don't talk to him, you see yourself as being more important, more in control. This is where, if you want to know if you're here, it's, it's where when you get bad news, you think you can conquer it or you think it's unconquerable. It's one or the other, but either one says you think you have control. It's where if you believe that whatever a doctor tells you is permanent, I'm not discounting doctors. They're far smarter than I am. 
But a doctor is never God. Anytime you get information and you think that information cannot be changed, you think you or someone else is in control and you're not sure God is. And it affects the way you talk with him. So if you flip it to the other side, he is greater than I. I believe there's hats made with this. I've seen some tattoos, which that's brilliant. But he is greater than I. Our prayers ought to look like this, where you talk to God. God, the doctor said this is not fixable. Ha, let's show him. It's where you think your boss is such a jerk that he can't even recover from that. Let's see what God can do in this. If you see a situation, a mountain so big that you don't think you can overcome it, you might be right. You can't overcome it. But with God, maybe it's possible. Every time you talk to God, who's in control, who has authority is on the table. Now, God knew this. This was not, this is not like, oh, this is a new problem in 2017. No, it's not. In fact, the disciples, Jesus' disciples were like, hey, we're not sure how to pray, Jesus. And Jesus is like, all right, I got an idea, and I do have an agenda with this. So Jesus says, if you don't know how to pray, here's a prayer. If you've never paid attention to the prayer, it's all about who's in control. I'll show you the first portion of this prayer. Our Father, in other words, the guy who's in charge, our Father in heaven, May your name be kept holy. May your kingdom, if a person has a kingdom, they're in, they're in charge. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth. It's all authoritative as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need. If you're like, what's that mean? That means that they did not know if they would eat that day unless God provided it. That's how they lived. And forgive us our sins. I mean, when you're asking someone for forgiveness of your sins, it is a perfect display of who you think is in charge or in control of forgiveness. You just read the rest of the prayer, you're going to see all over the place. God is in control. God is in control. He's the authority. When you pray, do you pray as though God is the authority over everything? The authority over cancer. The authority over money. The authority over broken relationships, broken marriages, rebellious children, difficulty in life, handicaps, whatever it is. Do you believe God is the authority? Prayer would challenge your view on that. It, it got worse. Uh, you'd think that when Jesus gave us a prayer that we'd be like, all right, God's authority, I got this in place. No, in fact, later on in the Bible, one of the guys writing had to pray for the people that they would actually get this. So not only is a, God is an authority, but now there's people praying for us that will understand what I'm teaching. I'll, I'll show it to you, Ephesians, make this. I also pray that you will understand. Very eloquent way. Hey, the people that don't get it, I'm praying for you. I, will, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power. A prayer, literally for people like you and I, who don't always understand God's power. I understand, you understand, we get this. We often misunderstand God's power. We often think it's less, or hey, maybe some of us think that it's not available to us because we haven't lived perfectly. 
Thousands of years ago, there were prayers going to God. God, can you help us just understand that you're an authority? Prayer is not complicated. Conversations with God are not for some group of people, but they are for people who recognize God is authority. To be very open with you. In the past year or so, my conversations with God have changed. And like I said, to be very open with you, there are multiple times throughout the day that I'll stop and say, God, I just want to acknowledge something to you. You have authority. You have authority over my children. You have authority over the oceans that can control how they go in and go out. God, you have authority over the sun and the moon, and you can move them wherever you would like. God, you have authority over our church. You have authority over our government. You have authority over this world. And I just, I just want to tell you that I know that you have that authority. If you will begin to pray like that, you will begin to deepen your relationship with God in a way that you never knew. Authority is the first step. Here's the second and last one. Our conversations with God reveal our role with God. See, there's the, God is authority. But also, not only is he authority, but how do you view yourself when you talk to him? If you want to talk to God and have like rich conversations, like good ones, then you will understand that not only does God have a role and he has authority, but you have a role too, a position. Um, I read a book with the staff this past year. The book's not worth recommending, but there is a part of the book that I will share with you that's worth reading the whole book. So in the book, the guy brings up in a short little part of the book, what position do you pray from when you talk with God? He listed the first one. Do you talk to him like you're a slave? If you talk to God like you're his slave, you're reluctant to even pray to him. You're like, I can't talk to God. I'm, like, I'm unworthy. Like, I can't even talk to him. Like, he's, he's my master, and, and I'm just waiting for him to tell me what to do, so I can't even talk to him unless, like, unless he talks to me. That's how a slave would, would pray. Uh, you have no right to ask. Many of us, I know I'm stepping on toes, but if you pray like a slave, that means you feel like you can't talk to God and even ask him for anything. You're like, who am I to ask for anything? However, the Bible tells us over and over and over again, please ask, please ask, please ask. Even to the point that says, if you don't ask, you ain't getting. That's David's uh, commentary on, on that. <laughs> Prayers are guarded if you pray like a slave. It's kind of like talking to your boss where you feel like, well, I can't say that to my boss because that might not get received well. And I'm not sure if we have that kind of a relationship. So many of us have these guarded conversations with other people who have authority in our lives. And, and if you're praying to God like, like a slave, that means you're not at all talking to him about the real things going on in your life. Many people pray from the posture of slave. I'm going to tell you, that's not going to get you into a relationship that you want. There's another negative posture. It's called orphan. 
And, and I thought how, how he wrote this in the book was brilliant. Many of us, oh, oh no, you talk to God. <laughs> you're like, I talk to him all the time. But you're desperate all the time. Not reluctant. You're desperate. Every conversation with him is rescue me, rescue me, rescue me, rescue me. And, and you're, you're behaving like his only role in your life is to rescue you from stuff. It's more like begging. God, would you please, 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 please. I, in fact, some of us, if, if you do this, God, then I will, some, okay, some of you are like, oh, you know, go there. Yes, I'm going there. Some of us have prayed, God, if you would just this one thing, then I will, and you've made a stupid promise. It's praying to God like you're an orphan. It's like there's a gap between you and God, and the only thing you ask of God are the scraps from his table. I've often prayed this way. God, there are people far more deserving. Just if you could just, like, just a little, just whatever you've left, got left over, like, if it, just a little bit. I'm so, I'm so sorry to even have the conversation with you. I probably could have managed these things better. I'm, no, that's not how we talk to God if we want a deep relationship. There's another one, but I want to show you the verses in the Bible where it comes from first that contradict everything I've already told you. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. If you follow Jesus and you're like, I have conversations with God, I follow God, I love God, I believe, I believe God loves me. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you receive God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Do you pray to God? Do you have conversations with God from that role? And just for those who are doubters and skeptics, let me show you another part of the Bible that says basically the same stuff. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. There's another one. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. Do you pray to God as though the spirit of God is even dwelling in your soul? Prompting us to call out Abba Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. If you didn't catch it, the third other role is son or daughter. It's, it's the role that you and I can actually talk to God from, not, not as a slave or an orphan, but as a son or a daughter. I mean, I could preach a ton of other sermons on prayer. We can get deep into the weeds on the power of prayer, and we will someday, but I think it's just important. How do you even start a conversation with God? You start it with understanding He has authority, and you can be His child. That's a whole different conversation. And I believe our world needs more people, more Christians, talking to God like we're actually adopted by God.
So uh, there's a prayer that if you're interested, you don't have to, but there's a prayer I want you to see that if you've never asked God or accepted that adoption, I want you to see a prayer that can help you begin that conversation with God. Let me show you the prayer. Father, I feel so unworthy to be called your child. I know at times I disappoint you, and yet each time I come to you, you receive me like your own child. I need your acceptance and love. Thank you for adopting me. Thank you for being a loving father to me. I accept the place you have made for me in your heart and your family. I would encourage everyone to begin a conversation with God saying something like that and accept that adoption and then I would tell you your conversations with God will change because I know that I talk to my dad way, way differently than I talk to most people. And God is saying he wants to have those kinds of conversations. You want something? Ask for it. And he won't even make fun of you. You need healing? Ask him. You need provision? Ask him. You want to have a conversation about so-and-so? Talk to God about it, not other people. <laughs> that, the world immediately would get better. Talk to God about what's going on in your life. And if you wrestle with, well, you didn't have a great dad. You're like, I don't even know if I like that kind of metaphor, analogy. Listen, listen, there's a reason that you don't like it. Ask God to help you heal that so that you can own a very incredible relationship with God. He's a father that has never failed us. I encourage you. Take his invitation to talk to him like that. Let me pray for you. God, I, I believe that you have craved, and I don't use that word lightly, I believe you have craved to have conversations with each of us. I know from the very beginning of time, you have sought to have conversations and relationship with us, the people you've created. So God, I ask that you would forgive us for the moments that we've pushed you kind of to the side not talk to you. Help us to bring you in to our lives more. God, help us to be uh, parents who have regular conversations with you. God, help us to be family members that have regular conversations with you. God, for those who, who lead a business, please prompt all of those leaders to have regular conversations with you. For those who, who lead our government, God, prompt them to have conversations with you. For those folks who are desperate, their souls are in dire need of emergency surgery. God, please begin to work on our souls in the midst of a conversation. I pray for every single person at every single location. God, may your spirit grab a hold of our hands and draw us closer to you inside of a conversation. We love you with all of our hearts. Thank you for letting us talk to you. Thank you for listening to us. We pray this in your name.